Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Welcome back. Hour number two of the show tomorrow. I'll be live at the Raider facility anchoring the radio portion of the draft, 3 to 5 with Lincoln Kennedy and Eric Allen. The Raiders have the 17th pick overall in the NFL draft in the first round. We'll get to that the rest of the hour. Jim Mora Jr., kind enough to join us coming up, and also Bruce Gradkowski, former Raider quarterback. But how thrilling is it to have, courtesy of U-Pick Trade, the all-time hit king, Pete Rose, joins us again coming into the Kentucky Derby. Hit king, I know you like the ponies. This is right up your alley. How are you? the brick. I'm doing well. Of course, Friday... We got the uh, Kentucky Derby for Phillies. Yeah. Okay. That's called the Oaks. And I'm going to give you one in there. Okay. Of course, secret results, search results, excuse me. That's the Chad Brown, who's one of the best trainers, if not in the country. And I read Ortiz is riding that horse. Okay. So that's my pick in the Oaks. And when you get to the Derby, essential quality is, is – what five and five and uh, he's won all five races. Yeah. And now, I, do you know anything about um, Mattress Matt? Yes, he's the big guy who gambles down in Houston when he, yeah, he leverages he all bet. his bets with the giveaways. Yes. Yeah, he's going to bet four million on the on the Derby favorite. <laughs> so it's hard to say who's going to be the Derby favorite because you got a couple horses five to two, two to one. And whoever Matt decides to bet on is probably going to be the Derby favorite. Because you get one guy betting $4 million, it's, it, even though it's the Derby, it's going to have something to do with the odds. Pete, isn't that amazing? Because he backs it up with the World Series and he does yeah. it with other sports. But to yeah. move the odds like that in the Kentucky Derby, considering <laughs> the handle, it's incredible. I'm going to give you a sleeper in there, okay? okay. The only problem is I think he's the one post. Is, uh, known agenda. Yeah. 15 to 2, the one He post. won the Florida Derby, I think. And uh, uh, if, he, if he can overcome the one the one post position, you, as you know, it's tough going a mile and a quarter at Churchill because uh, when you're just leaving the gate, the rail becomes, a, 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 you know, something you have to bear with. So uh, look for him to break and be closer to the lead than he normally is simply because of the post position. And, Pete, isn't that the same problem with the central quality coming in the 14 post? Not no, a good place for that horse. You're in the clear, uh, JT. Okay. You know, once you get outside 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, uh, you're clear. You know, and, and you're going to have some horses in front of you. But the, it's a long way to go from the starting gate all the way down the stretch. It's one of the longest stretches in, in horse racing. So it depends on your jockey and, uh, and how successful he is. You know, we don't know who's going to break, who's not going to break. You know, somebody always gets left. Somebody always gets cut off. I mean, when you you know when you have that many horses in a race, you're going to have problems. And it's the same way this year as every other year. They may not have 20 in the starting gate, but they're going to have uh, in the teens. So it's, it's an interesting uh, uh, race to watch just because it's more so the jockeys really than the horse because some of the best horses ever never won the derby. 
Pete Rhodes joins us. You pick trade. Sign up. Get your free pick at youpicktrade.com. Uh, Pete, when did you fall in love with thoroughbred horse racing? Because you go way back with this, and it's been entertainment for you and a lot of funs with friends yeah. over the years. Me, tell, tell us JT, a backstory on me, that. Let me tell you, JT. I was I was nine or ten, and uh, my buddy was fourteen or fifteen. That'd be my buddy Don Zimmer, and mm-hmm. uh, his dad and my dad were literally teammates. And we used to go every – do you ever hear the story about Don Zimmer? Have I got time to tell a story? Please do. I love Don Zimmer. Yeah, Please. Okay. He, was, he was a big gambler, and I'm 10 or 11 years old, and he said, Pete, I had a dream last night about white hats and black hats and big hats and square hats. And I went to work, and one of my employees, he owned a produce company, gave him a new Cincinnati red hat. And as he did every day, he ate lunch, and he went to River Downs Racetrack, which was 10 miles east of Cincinnati, and he opened up the program, and number one was Top Hat. Now, if you know anything about gambling, and I know you do, you're dreaming about hats. A guy gives you a new hat, and number one is Top Hat. This is 1950. He bet $1,000 to win on Top Hat. They're going two turns. They're coming down the home stretch. The last jump, a 50-to-1 shot beat Top Hat. And I said, Dud, I, so, I felt so, so sorry for him. I said, Dud, who won the race? He said sombrero. <laughs> Pete Rose joins us. Hey, Pete, a couple quick stories. The other night, Madison Bumgarner threw a seven-inning no-hitter. I said, that's not a no-hitter. That was only the toughest last outs, Pete, of the final six outs. And I think Bumgarner did a good job. He wasn't celebrating like it was a Gibson no-hitter or a Koufax no-hitter. What would you think of that? Yeah, you're probably right, JT. Probably most really good pitchers in the history of baseball have pitched a no-hitter for seven innings. (laughs) You know what I mean? But then yes. the eighth and ninth comes, like you said, and it becomes a little more difficult. And right right now we're, we're we're talking about baseball, and you got Boston is in first place, Kansas City is in first place, and who'd have thought that the Giants would be competing with the Dodgers in first place? However, the Dodgers uh, have lost five out of six, so something happened to that offense all of a sudden. You know, the Reds uh, just beat them up again last night, and they're getting ready to start an afternoon game today. So. Uh, who got the best team? Anytime you win a World Series, which the Dodgers did last year, JT, and you add a Cy Young winner, you got to be better. You have hey, to Pete, be better. And I know Bellinger's out right now, but still, you have to be a better team if you add the Cy Young winner. Wrapping it up with Pete Rhodes, you pick trade. Get your Kentucky Derby pick from the all-time hit king. Hey, finally, they had the Padres and the Dodgers that four-game series. They were building it up like it was the, you know, big red machine in the mid to late 70s. I'm like, calm down a bit here. Like, it was the greatest rivalry. But Tatis and the way the Padres played, it's kind of nice. And I just wanted you to share with me, if you could, a Tony Gwynn story, Pete. You were the all-time hit king, and Tony Tony was one of the greatest I've ever seen. JT, because I used to go to the ballpark like 3 o'clock, and the game would start at 7, 7.15, 7.30. And I'd get there for any other player. I'd go out in the, in the dugout and just sit and watch whatever's going to happen. And Tony Gwynn took extra batting practice every freaking day. I mean, he didn't need to take extra. You take extra batting practice when you're in a slump or when you're not feeling good. This guy would hit every day of the week, and that's why he was such a good hitter. He just didn't get tired. He never got tired as a baseball player. And he was one of the best hitters I ever I ever faced. You know, Carew was another one. But Tony Tony Gwynn put more into his game than most people that I could even think about in the game of baseball. And he was a legend, no question about it. And I think San Diego, who was it last night? 
uh, uh, the one did they win their first road game of the year? Is that Colorado? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they haven't won a road game. And yeah, Pete. I mean, Arizona, they're, 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 Arizona beat San Diego last night. Uh, I look for I look for uh, San Diego to bounce back uh, in the game with uh, with 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 Arizona today. That's that's my that's my five pick for uh, so how, you bet. You I'll pick. let you go. How much fun you having with you pick? Uh, everything's calmed it's down. Fun, Everybody dude. said here he goes. The head king's making picks, and I told you this would be this would be cool and calm because I'm I'm in Vegas. You're in Vegas. Everyone picks games. I'm not betting on them. I'm picking them. I'm yeah. using my knowledge to try to help people win some bets. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with that. Enjoy the You're derby, my, my friend. Talk to you soon. You're my man. Take care. All right. You got it. Right. Pete Rose. There he is. How about that? Calling in with the derby. Pete Rose calling in with the derby. That's why you listen to this show. You won't hear him on any other radio show today. And uh, thrilled that we could have him on. And courtesy of you pick. And again, remember when that came and it broke on sports? Oh, my God. Pete Rose is going to pick games. And. People call me and, JT, what are you going to do, Pete Rose? I go, he's 80 years old. He's picking games. He knows more about baseball than anybody. You're going to take picks from the charlatans in Vegas that got 400 Twitter followers and post a selfie from the Westgate saying, follow my baseball pick tonight? You're going to follow that crap? Or you're going to take a recommendation from Pete Rose? It's all common. It's all good, everybody. He's Pete Rose. He's 80. He can do whatever he wants legally. And now everything's legal with sports gambling. And remember, your boy JT has never placed a bet in my life. How could that be, Bobby? How could that be with all the shenanigans that I've pulled? The Wolf of Wall Street, the movie The Boiler Room was made about the group of guys I worked with. And with all the shenanigans in my life, including what I've done the last three weeks, I've never placed a bet. Can you believe that, Bobby? Of course I can believe that. I've known you all these years. My dad scared me to death when I was a kid about gambling. He really did. I, I knew there was a story about that. There Absolutely. was a story behind it. My dad my dad really had a come-to-God moment with me before it happened. But all my friends gamble, and I hang out, and I encourage everybody to gamble. It's not my thing. So I put on gamblers on the radio, and I let them make picks. And I'll never say, hey, this is the pick. Because if I made picks and I was a gambler, I'd be living under the 215 at Town Center, and my wife would be bringing me soup every night under the bridge where I'd be living in a tent because I would believe that I was smarter than everybody and I could pick every game and I'd never be wrong. So it's not my thing, but I love gambling for my friends and all my friends who gamble. All I try to do is put the best people on to give you any type of advantage that you can have. And I always say at the end, bet with your wallet, not with your head. Okay, don't bet, don't bet what you think you have. You don't have that money. You don't have that money. Bet with what's in your wallet. And once you go over it, stop. And then when you do win and you have that phone app, take the money out of the phone app. And then and go, go put it in the bank or invest it. Don't let it ride. How many of my buddies say, man, I'm up 1200 bucks in my casino account. And then two weeks later, they're, they're at the machine putting in another two grand. Every once in a while, take a little off the table. All right, coming up, Bruce Gradkowski will join us. Man, he was a good quarterback. He started in the league. He came off the bench. Does a great job with pro football focus. Love having him on. And thanks to the all-time hit king, Pete Rose. Brought to you by Ihole. Oh, I love it. I had a couple of them last week with my buddy Bobby G in town on the golf course. My buddy Billy Cancun brought him out on a hole where I got a birdie. And I had a beautiful shot to back it up of Ihole, shout it out loud.
Lawrence takes a shotgun snap. Blitz coming. Lawrence rolls right. Looking back of the end zone. Throws. Higgins there. Caught a touchdown. That was like Dwight Clark. That was like Montana it Clark. Was. Trevor Lawrence, uh, JT back with you. We're waiting on Bruce Gradkowski, former Raider quarterback, will join us here momentarily. Crank the music, Bobby. People are excited. We're proud to tell you about Bell Solar, an amazing company you can trust. Bell Solar is a best of Las Vegas gold winner. Average homeowners who choose solar save more than $35,000 over 20 years, plus the government pays 26% of your system through tax credits. And you could qualify for no payments for six months. Call now and see how much you can save. No obligation. Call Bell Solar at 702-979-1277. That's Bell Solar, proud partner of our show, 702-979-1277. Tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., I'm up with the Wagners. Wake up with the Wagners at 6 a.m. I'll give a Raider pick there. We'll get a vibe for what's going to happen. Uh, tomorrow we move back to show. Instead of noon to 2, we're on 3 to 5. I'll be anchoring at the Raider facility along with the great Lincoln Kennedy and Eric Allen. We'll be on from 3 to 5. Then we'll take the draft, the TV feed of the draft. We'll have the full draft. And then after round one is over, we'll go back on the air. Roughly around 9 o'clock, we'll do an hour recap show on the Raiders draft, hopefully get Mike Mayock on, or the coach, Coach Gruden, depending on what happens. And then on Friday, we come back and do the same shift again and get you ready for the next round. So here on Thursday, Friday, then I travel up to the Bay Area. On Monday, I'll be the MC of the Fred Bolitnikoff Hall of Fame Golf Classic, which is going to be unbelievable. Freddie B puts on the big event every year at Ruby Hill, Rich Gannon's going to be there, Rod Woodson, a whole bunch of Raider legends, Daryl LaMonica, the Mad Bomber. That's always a very special night, and I have a great time emceeing that event. It's a full day of golf, and then a dinner and a silent auction, a lot of money spent and raised for Tracy's Place of Hope. As you should know, if you don't know, Fred Bolitnikoff's daughter Tracy was tragically murdered a long time ago, and we raised money for young girls who are in duress and need a home to live safe and have the life that Tracy dreamed of having. And Fred and Angela Bolitnikoff do an amazing job with the Bolitnikoff Foundation. I've been a part of it for a long time. This is 20 years that I've been involved with this event, and then we'll be back on Tuesday. So this is a busy time for us, and we're excited to be here. And now we get an opportunity to talk to former Raider quarterback, 11-year NFL vet. What a job he does now with Pro Football Focus. Bruce Gradkowski joins us. Bruce, good to talk to you ahead of the draft. Thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks, brother. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. You got to love this draft. I mean, as much, you know, since you became an analyst and you're putting in all this film work and breaking down tapes on quarterbacks, now we could have a run on five of them in the first nine, 12 picks. Where do you stand on this? Do you think that it's too early for most of these guys or that's where the league is now? Get your quarterback early and take your chances. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right about that. I'm loving it, right? I mean, this offseason with, with the trades that have gone down with Stafford and Goff, Carson Wentz, I mean, just all uh, the drama around the quarterback position. Look, you know, us quarterbacks, we're high maintenance. So we deserve this attention or we like this attention. So uh, it's been a fun offseason. So I'm excited to see the, you know, pay attention to the draft, see what happens. This is this is the league we're in now. You know, you have to have a studded quarterback if you want a chance to to win a Super Bowl, and and that's what we're seeing is teams will give up the house to move up in the draft 
to put themselves in the position for a guy they think is their home run, for a guy they think can bring them home a Super Bowl. So we see it year in and year out, so I'm not surprised. I think this year there are some really good quarterbacks coming out, so it makes for for an exciting year. Uh, So who knows what's going to happen in this draft, uh, but it's going to be fun to watch. Hey, Bruce, there's going to be no tricks here with the number two pick with the Jets, right? Are you sold on Zach Wilson? Because if the Jets aren't going with Zach Wilson, every analyst in every mock draft thinks this is a lock. No chance Justin Fields goes number two to the Jets because I'm still trying to figure out why everyone's so in love with Zach Wilson. What do you see on tape? Yeah, I mean, he popped up onto the scene quick this year, right? I mean, this this past year, he just blew it up. He blew up all our PFF grading numbers. I mean, uh, he, he was a 90-plus passer grade in over half of his games in 2020. So, uh, and then in the, sing, in, the, in the season, he had the highest single-season passer grade of the PFF college era, 95.5. So, as far as, like, that standpoint, he crushed it, right? And then just when I watch Zach, Zach Wilson on film, to me, he's so natural. He's so fluid. He's a guy that just instincts, instinctively makes plays, and that's what I look for. You know, it, it could be a simple play is throwing a screen to the running back, but when I see a quarterback understand how to kind of navigate the throw just to complete it, have different type of arm angles to get the ball completed, I mean, that is Zach Wilson, and he brings his athleticism to the table. He could buy time. He can extend plays, and he's accurate when he does it as well. You don't see him make a lot of poor decisions. Uh, we could talk about, you know, the competition he played against. We could talk about maybe, I, I don't know, it's, it's going to be interesting, interesting to see uh, how he plays out as far as leadership style, being a rookie and having to have the command of the offense and the team. You know, those are things I want to see take place. But I think as far as the abilities on the field, He's just so fluid and natural that uh, you can't pass him up because as a thrower, he's that good. Uh, and it's going to be cool to see where he ends up. And I think for sure uh, my money's on him going to the Jets. Bruce Gradkowski joins us. Bruce, what do you think with the day before, night before the draft? What's going on with the Niners? It's almost like they love this drama. They traded up to three. So it's not like they traded up to five and they're playing poker because they're hoping – the fourth quarterback or the third drops to them. They know who they're going to get, but they're playing this card out like they're still making up their mind. It seems like they almost like the limelight here. I don't understand it because they're at three, and we know Lawrence and Wilson are going one, two. Why are they bringing so much attention to themselves at number three? Do you think they're still making a decision and they're not sold yet on Mac Jones? You, you know, I, I think there is still some communication probably in that building. I mean, this is a tough decision to make. Even for myself, when I go through this tape, I mean, I could talk myself into why each quarterback could fit with Kyle Shanahan, and probably more so because I know how good Kyle Shanahan is as a coach and an offensive play caller, that I trust whoever he does draft, he will make uh, successful. So if I'm the quarterback, I'm sitting back praying, man, I hope I go to the Niners because it's going to be a really good situation uh, for a young quarterback. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, too, I think, you know, you bring up a good point about them sitting at three. Why do they have to have a poker face? Well, look, I mean, Kyle Shanahan was just recently Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur's boss. You don't think if, if it was known that Kyle Shanahan is going after 
you know, Justin Fields per se, or Trey Lance or Mac Jones, whoever the name was, you don't think Robert Sala and Michael Floor might be like, man, let's let's really look at this. What are we missing? Why why is he so hung up on on Justin Fields or Mac Jones or Trey Lance? What are we missing something here? So I think it's in a sense that way, right? You don't want to kind of show your hand too much because look, you just you kind of want to keep your business in house. You don't want anyone to steer, you know, what you're going to do one way or the other. And Shanahan said it. It's irresponsible of them to listen to the media or the fans. And he's absolutely right. You have to trust your football knowledge. And Kyle Shanahan has a, a really good, bright football offensive mind. Uh, so that's why it's going to be so fun to watch because I really can see Mac Jones thriving in that offense. I could see Trey Lance being able to develop and thrive in an offense like that. And same thing with Justin Fields. Could you imagine the running game and the running attack that the Niners could have with Justin Fields and his athleticism to bring to the running game and also the way he could throw the ball downfield? I mean, because Justin Fields has a huge arm. Uh, but, you know, lately I've been leaning more towards, I think it's between Mac Jones and Trey Lance. That's where it comes down for me. And then at the end of the day, we're going to see, I mean, because Trey Lance has, it's high risk, high reward. I mean, this guy has some upside. He hasn't played in a ton of games, so you're almost betting on that, um, that you've seen enough from him to take him three overall. I think the guy you could trust the most right now is Mac Jones, and that's why I could see it being him. Bruce Gradkowski joins us, 11-year vet, pro football focus, really had a nice career, been on the shows with me for years, thrilled that we can get him on ahead of the draft. Uh, what other analysis have you done when you look at Trey Lance? What do you see with all of his limited limited tape he didn't play a lot and he played in a small conference against very weak competition compared to trevor lawrence and justin field so what jumps out at you with the tape and then how do you evaluate leadership when you're talking about a young kid who didn't play a lot at north dakota state just from what interviews during his pro day there wasn't even a combine bruce yeah i think you know these coaches general managers the personnel group they dive into these guys. I mean, as far as trying to learn and understand who they are as a person, I mean, they'll go back and talk to cafeteria workers. They'll go back, talk to trainers, uh, you know, anyone that could give them some information not just the character of the guy, you know, and that's the part I wish I was more involved with to get to know these players, because at the end of the day, we talk so much about the X's and O's, but to me, playing the quarterback position is more than just the X's and O's. It's how is he going to, be able to lead that locker room? Is he going to be able to? You know, can he have command of the offense, of the huddle? Can he learn this system? Will he be able to get in and out of the huddle, in and out of play calls, checks, audibles, and be able to read a defense? And, and so a lot goes into it. And then talking specifically on Trey Lance, you know, Trey Lance has operated under center at times. I see him getting through progressions in reads as if it was, you know, NFL-type play calling. Um, he's a big, physical, strong guy. He's athletic. I mean, he's, he's even more athletic when you watch the film and you watch him play. Um, my concern with him is he's a little inaccurate at times for me. You know, so now the windows in the NFL are going to be tighter. The speed of the game is going to be a lot faster and quicker. You, gotta make, you have to make split-second decisions and be very decisive. And that pocket that you throw from collapses very fast. So there's going to be an adjustment period for Trey Lance going to the NFL, but I think he can do it uh, because he, sh he shows poise and composure. 
they didn't put a ton on his plate in North Dakota State, but you see him getting through reads and progressions. So I think he can do it at the next level. It's going to be interesting to see where he ends up going. Bruce Gratkowski, kind enough to join us as we wrap it up. So the breaking news earlier today, Broncos trading a six-round pick for Teddy Bridgewater, knowing that they have Drew Locke and knowing that they have a high pick, the ninth pick where one of these quarterbacks can drop to him. So, Bruce, let's start from a Broncos perspective from seeing Drew Locke. I saw him play in Vegas. I was in the building, and he was tough as hell. He got banged up. He had bad ribs. He kept coming back, taking a beating, and he had some moxie about him. Look, I didn't think he was great, but I thought, man, this guy's a tough kid, and Denver almost feels pressure to bail on him. Is Teddy Bridgewater there, do you think, to compete as the starter with Locke, or do you think they could get off Locke here quickly? I thought Denver was in a situation to get a quarterback here. What does this say to you with Bridgewater to the Broncos? Yeah, you know, I mean, this is very interesting because if you're the Broncos, I think it totally makes sense. In that sixth round, the fifth, sixth, seventh round, that's when you could draft a quarterback that, hey, maybe he could develop, maybe he could be a practice squad guy. So now you give up a six-round draft pick for a guy, a veteran that's been around the league, smart quarterback, has had – very good times of playing, has learned some good football in Teddy Bridgewater. So now you bring him in, it's basically your insurance policy. I think Locke is your guy. Um, of course, I think they do compete it out, but I think this is Locke's year to see what he could do. Um, he graded, he ranked 32nd out of 36 of our qualifying quarterbacks with a passing grade of 634 so that's not the greatest. But when I look at Locke and I d- dive in deeper, you know, his play-action play passes when he's targeting like 15 to 20 yards downfield, it's a different ball game. And, and that's when you can help young quarterbacks because Locke had the eighth-ranked passing grade this year when targeting 10 to 19 yards downfield, executing play-action pass. So I think he has to clean up some poor decision-making because he had a ton of turnover-worthy plays, 23 per our PFF data. And um, and then maybe he could be successful. But I think this is you bring a uh, veteran in. Teddy Bridgewater can start for you day one. Or if, you know, stuff hits the fan, you know, you go right to Bridgewater. So I think this makes sense. And also you have to think about it this way. Was Denver going to have to jump a few spots to, to draft a quarterback? So now in this sense, they could sit pretty where they're at. They could mm-hmm. let the next best – player come to them or they could trade out of that spot now and feel comfortable acquiring more picks and continuing to build the team around the quarterback position wrapping it up with Bruce Gradkowski I just I've been saying this more than anybody I've heard on the radio about Matt Rule he came to this job in Carolina the richest owner in the sport David Tepper and he's just not in a good spot with the quarterback he doesn't have he has the eighth pick overall so now I'm wondering he, Sam Darnold's in the building. Bridgewater's gone. I know that you were high on Sam Darnold. You thought this was a good fit for him to go to Carolina. Now Carolina could take Rashawn Slater, one of these offensive linemen, or get an explosive wide receiver after Jamar Chase. Jalen Waddell could be available or, you know, Smith, the, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner. Are you thinking now with Darnold there in Carolina, they get him protection up front so he has time to be successful or they get one of these great playmakers? Yeah, I, I, man, that's a tough one, but I could see them getting him some protection. I mean, yeah, uh, who knows how this first round is going to play out with those top picks and, you know, what happens with Atlanta? Do they go Kyle Pitts? 
Um, you know, now, you know, Carolina's sitting in a good position that they're going to have options, right? Is it, does Penny soul drop to them and they have an opportunity to get him? I mean, so you're looking at, you know, you're going to have a few nice selections sitting there uh, at eight. So I think it's just going to be probably what's best available at the time. You know, if you could get that big tackle to, to protect Sam Darnold or you, you named it. I mean, you're going to have some wide receivers. If Devontae Smith is there, uh, Jalen Waddle, I mean, you have opportunities. So I think Carolina's sitting pretty nice right now. Hey, Bruce, finally, your former team, the Raiders, have an opportunity now to get a defensive player, but Gruden loves the toys, right? Gruden loves to get more and more weapons. They got Waller, Renfro, Ruggs on the outside. They really need some protection for Carr, but defense with Gus Bradley seems to be the direction they're going in. You know, Raiders should have won 10 games last year. They ended up 8-8. Eight and eight. Really big year here in Vegas. What do you think the Raiders need to prioritize in that first round, the type of player that can get them back to the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, Gruden does love his offensive guys. And, you know, hey, I, I don't blame him because as an offensive guy myself, playing the quarterback position, I always want weapons. Uh, but, look, I, I wouldn't be mad if they went for a corner. You know, you're going to have some good options there at that position. If Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech falls to you, that could be a great pick for them. Uh, so he's going to have some options. And who knows? Who knows if he's going to be in the market for Julio Jones. It makes a move in that sense. But I could see them going corner in the first round. Great, Bruce. Always appreciate the work you do. You know that. I look forward to seeing you out in Vegas. And the pro football focus, guys, and your team and the podcast that you're doing, everything is exceptional. You're on a great team. Congratulations on all your success. Yeah, thanks, brother. I really appreciate that. Have a good week. You too, Bruce. Bruce Gradkowski, really good to catch up with him. Uh, pro football focus and everything that he does. Coming up next, we'll wrap up a hell of a show. You believe who we had on today? Pete Rose, Brian Billick, Bruce Gradkowski, Ken Harrock joined us, and now Jim Mora Jr. We'll check in again, get an idea where he's leaning and how to evaluate. He's been in some big war rooms over his career. As we keep it rolling here, brought to you by our good friends, and I mean good friends, at Grimaldi's. Hey, have a draft party tomorrow. Go to Grimaldi's, five locations, order a couple pies. It's the best pizza I've ever had. Cyrus Jones backpedals. He'll make the grab at his own 35, 40, 45, 50. Up the middle has a seam. Cuts right 40. Down the right side line 30. He'll high step to the 25, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Alabama! Cyrus Jones with his fourth punt return for a touchdown this year. And Bama just pouring the gas on the fire. They lead 23 to nothing. Bama Radio, JT, back with you. The breaking news, Teddy Bridgewater to the Broncos for a six-round pick. How does that shake it up? We'll be talking about that continuing tomorrow, live from the Raider facility, 3 to 5 p.m., along with Lincoln Kennedy and Eric Allen. The draft, our coverage starts at 3 o'clock. Don't miss the show. Great guest list today, and we wrap it up with Jim Mora, kind enough to join us, the former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons and UCLA. Coach, great to catch up with you again. I'll start with what I started with Coach Billick earlier in the show today. Do you believe there's a panic to get these quarterbacks early, or are they worthy of being selected so high? 
I think a little bit of both. I think some of these guys are certainly worthy, and I think sometimes teams create a guy because there's such a desperate need, uh, especially you know, if you're a team that you feel like you're on the cusp of being something great or you're building something special, but the one missing piece is a great quarterback, you know, you may create a guy. You know, and when I say create it, you may overlook some of the deficiencies he has, deficiencies he has, and you know, look at only the positives and and make kind of a desperation pick. But uh, I think certainly, you know, four of these guys, in my opinion, through performance in college, are worthy of being top picks. Yeah, it's interesting because, coach, the way I've been playing this for weeks now, over a month with the draft, my. My play on this is that you're going to see the greatest draft in regards to talent from maybe 10 to 20 that I've seen in a decade with Kyle Pitts and the receivers and especially the tackles because the quarterbacks are going so early instead of being spread out over the first two rounds. Do you agree the quality of the players after 9 or 10 are going to be incredible? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the the entire first round is incredible, but I do agree with you that kind of those mid-picks, there are some great players that are going to, they're going to drop into those spots just because there's going to be that early run on quarterbacks. We saw it a few years ago when Donald and Rosen and Allen and all those guys got picked, but you know, to, to revisit your talk about late round picks, having success, let's throw Aaron Rodgers in there. You know, I yeah. mean, uh, people passed on him and now they, well, I don't know if they still regret it, but we've seen what kind of career he's had. So, you know, we all get excited about the quarterback and, and so much of this really, is media speculation. Mm-hmm. You know, we may in the media think we know what a team is, is doing in their draft rooms or who they want. We really never know. We really never know who they value. So, you know, we may be anticipating this early run on quarterbacks because there are some really good ones. You know what? It may not transpire. It probably will, but it may not. But you talk about, you know, some down the and when I say down the line, I'm talking about not the first five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten picks, but you know, some mid mid round, first round talent. There are some great, great players out there. Jim Mora joins us. You know, I, coach, I find it amazing here that with the media you mentioned are thinking about Mac Jones. You win a championship at Alabama, you work under Steve Sarkeesian and the great Nick Saban, and then Kyle Shanahan's interested in John Lynch. Everybody's going, wait, you know, the guy takes off his shirt and he looks like Tom Brady did back in the combine compared to Trey Lance and Justin Fields. They're in these personal workouts. They have 12 packs. They're running four, four, forties downhill and they look like they're in the weight room and they're athletic outside the pocket. Tell me what you think of Mac Jones potentially going that early to the Niners at three. Well, I like him. I, you know, I don't think it matters what a quarterback looks like with his shirt off. I think Tom Brady's proven that. You know, uh, I think if you ask a lot of quarterbacks that are great NFL players to take their shirt off, they might be a little hesitant to do so. You know, playing quarterback is certainly about your skill set and your ability to throw the ball on time, on target. Uh, But it's so much about intangibles as well. I had the great fortune of working with Bill Walsh. And, you know, Bill was a tremendous developer of quarterback talent, great, you know, uh, evaluator, I think, of quarterback talent, although he missed a little bit on Tom Brady. You know, and, and his number one attribute he was looking for was a decision maker. And then he was looking for leadership. And it wasn't necessarily about arm strength. It was mobility, but it wasn't necessarily the mobility to run the ball down the field. It was mobility to stay alive in the pocket and 
stay behind the line of scrimmage and create outside the pocket and make accurate throws downfield late in the down. And I think when you look at Mac Jones, you don't see a guy who's mobile, you know, you, but you do see a guy who has pocket mobility. You see a guy that's a really great decision maker. You see a guy that I think showed character in not transferring out of, out of Alabama, but mm-hmm. staying there knowing that he was going to benefit from being coached by Sark, being in a program like Alabama's, playing against the best talent in the country week in and week out on a large stage and huge games, being able to handle that. And, and I think he's got all of those intangibles that you're looking for. Just don't ask him to take his shirt off at the beach, you know? <laughs> Jim Mora joins us. Coach, going back to your NFL career with the Chargers and the Saints, the Niners, the Falcons as head coach, the great run with the Seahawks. Give me a story about the war room when there's an owner in the war room on top of the GM, you're the head coach or you're on the staff, and all of a sudden you think the war, you think the draft's going accordingly, and then boom, there's chaos. The guy you want is gone, or a team trades in front of you. Do you miss that? I'm sure that there's some amazing stories, especially from your father, too, about what it's like to, to have to react so quickly when the chaos starts flying. Well, you, you hope that you've done your homework, and you hope that you evaluated a player, the players, and put them in the positions where you don't have chaotic situations. You hope that you've anticipated what may happen in front of you, and you have a pool of players at any pick in the draft, whether it's in the first round, the second round, or the seventh round, that you're going to be happy with, that you have conviction about, that you think can come in and help make your team a better football team, because every pick of the draft changes the complexion of the rest of the draft. And we know there's going to be surprises. We know there's going to be people passed up that we never thought would be sitting there later on than they are. We, we know there's going to be people that we believe reach for somebody, and it just creates, as you said, some chaos. But if you have conviction, if you've done the work, if you're in alignment as an organization, you're going to have a pool of players that you feel comfortable with. And if you, if you don't have a pool of players you feel comfortable with that pick, regardless of what happens in front of you, then you're going to start working the phones and try to trade out of that pick and maybe pick up some capital later on in the draft. So I think it's just being in alignment as an organization and, and having a cool head and, quite frankly, having an owner that, that is in the room in a supportive role, not trying to divide, not asking you know uninformed questions at the wrong time. I've very rarely been in draft rooms where the owner has been um, overbearing. Typically, they're supportive. They have trust in their general managers. They have trust in their head coach. And as long as those two guys – are in alignment. And I keep saying alignment as opposed to being in agreement, because you're not always going to be in agreement, but in alignment, what's best for the, the organization, then you, then you should have a successful draft and you should be able to move through those moments of uncertainty when all hell's breaking loose in front of you. Jim Moore, as we wrap it up, a couple of teams, first Bill Belichick and the control he has within the organization. Can you explain to our audience the control? He's the head coach they don't have the typical GM structure in that organization. Mr. Kraft gives him the ability to do that. And this is the first time, Jim, in a long time I've been hearing about them potentially trading up from 15 to go get that quarterback, even if it's a bit of a project in Trey Lance for a year under Cam Newton. I don't think Cam Newton can throw anymore. I don't know why. Yeah. He's young. He's young compared to Tom Brady, but he doesn't have the arm strength anymore. Do you think that Belichick might move into the top 10? It would not surprise me at all, and I'm not sure it's to go get Trey Lance. If Justin Fields is sitting there, you know, I think that's a guy they'd consider for sure. Um, 
but I don't put it past Bill Belichick to do anything. And he does have complete control, but he has a lot of people he leans on as well for their opinions. But at the end of the day, he's going to make the decision. We've seen what they did in free agency. You know, they were ultra aggressive. They were different in terms of their approach to free agency than they've been in a long, long time. Um, it doesn't sit well with Bill Belichick or Robert Kraft that they weren't a playoff team this year, that they weren't in contention for the Super Bowl, that Tom Brady left the organization and went and won another ring somewhere else. I mean, these are prideful, competitive men, and Bill is going to do whatever it takes to get that team back on track. That means trading up into the top 10 to, to get the quarterback that he wants that he can either develop behind Cam or stick into the fire right away. He's going to do that because – as you saw in free agency, they're preparing to win again. They're not preparing to rebuild this year. Mm-hmm. They're preparing to win again this year. You know I'm in Vegas, and the structure is John Gruden, and there's Mike Mayock. Uh, give me your analysis on, you know, you go back with Mike Mayock a long time, and he did a brilliant job for NFL Network on TV, and these drafts, the Raiders got to nail them now. They should have been a 10-win team last year. They're an 8-win team. Gruden has a lot of control, if not all of it, but Mayock and him work together, and then your friend Gus Bradley, who you hired in Seattle, gets to completely redo this defense where they were really active, and I'm sitting here going, you got to get defense, but then they need a right tackle, and I'm wondering what that's going to look like and how that's going to play out in their war room. Well, you can't get too cute in the draft, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you, you have these position parameters. You know, you have measurables, and, and um, and things that qualities you're looking for in each position that you pick, and sometimes you start making exceptions, you know, to what are your rules or your measurables or your parameters, and you know you may think you see something in a player that that uh, pushes them up the board in spite of the fact that he doesn't necessarily fit your profile. When you start to make too many exceptions to your rules you become an average football team very, very quickly. And, you know, I I hope that Mike and John can stick to, I guess, the the principles that they have in place in terms of what they're truly looking for and not try to get too cute and and, and reach for something that's really not of substance in a player. You know, um, I hope they kind of play it by the book. I think if they play it by the book, they'll be okay. If I think they try to make all these exceptions and hit the home run every time they come to the plate, then then they're not going to succeed. You know, sometimes you just have to load the bases up with a bunch of singles, and, and then you can hit the home run, hit the grand slam with one guy. But if you're always looking to hit the home run, man, you strike out a lot. And I think that's happened. Um, I think they're both very smart guys. I think that Mike Mayock is an outstanding a talent evaluator, outstanding I mean, he really works hard at it. I have a lot of respect for him. I love him. Um, I hope they load it up for Gus. Gus knows how to coach defense. I can assure anyone in Vegas that's listening that Gus Bradley is an outstanding defensive football coach. He's an outstanding football coach. You know, he struggled in Jacksonville, but he knows defense. He knows how to put players in the right spot. All they have to do is give him weapons. If they give him some weapons, if they give give him some guys that can get after the passer, they can make plays in the secondary, then they're going to be very successful there on defense. Coach, last one. It's kind of nice to be in the situation with Bruce Arians when everybody wants to come back after you win a Super Bowl. You don't have to worry about this exit of everybody leaving to get more money, and then you could sit there and take 
players for the future. How unique is that in the history of the NFL, what Tampa Bay's going through? Well, it, it's unique. It's kind of like the Patriots had built for a long time. Bruce's unique coach in that he's, he's a player's coach, but he's a hard ass. So what Bruce has done is he's created a culture where his players trust him. They know without a doubt that he's for them and he's pulling for them. And it's not his ego. It's the team ego that overrides everything. And sometimes when you, when you use the term players coach, people think that's a soft coach. Man, Bruce Arians is a hard ass. I work with Bruce in New Orleans. And he's a tough dude, and he's a demanding dude, and he's going to call them out, but he's also going to always have their back. And, and there are no sacred cows in that organization. He wasn't afraid to say Tom didn't play well when Tom didn't play well, but he'd already earned the respect and the trust of Tom where he felt like he could say those things. So that's an environment down there where, where players want to be with Bruce Arians. Players want to be with Tom Brady. Players want to be in a state where they don't have to pay income tax either. You know, But... Uh, um, it's just a unique situation because there's a level of trust there between Bruce and the players that doesn't exist anywhere else, or it doesn't exist at a lot of places, I should say. Thanks, Coach. Always a pleasure. Your time is valuable. Thanks so much for doing this. We'll do it again soon. Anytime. You guys take care. Thanks, Coach. Jim Mora, Jr., fantastic. Great analysis there, especially on Mayock and Gus Bradley there. Get Gus Bradley weapons, and that's what it'll take. Get them weapons, and that's what it'll take. All right, so let's fill everybody in on what we have lined up here uh, tomorrow, 3 to 5. 3 to 5, which we're excited about. That'll be fun with Lincoln Kennedy and Eric Allen. I'm going to set those guys up. My job is to set those guys up tomorrow and give you a vibe of what's happening heading into the draft, and then we'll be on right after the first round. Remember, this is all on the Raiders app. The Raiders mobile app will also be live video streaming over from the facility in Henderson. So get on that app tomorrow and check out what the Raiders are doing. That's a top app in all of the NFL, and tomorrow it will be showcased. What a show today. Brian Billick, Jim Mora Jr., Bruce Gradkowski, Ken Horak, Pete Rose, all checked in on the show. That's a hell of a radio show, and Bobby put it together. I don't know how you did it. And Bobby's got to run the Golden Knights game tonight. This Golden Knights game is huge. Make sure you tune in on our sister station. Go Knights, go. Have a good night, everybody. All right? Take care.